Good morning, I'm Alyssa. And I'm Daniela. And we have the privilege of reading today's scripture from John chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. God bless you. Awesome. Well, good morning. So, so amazing to be here this morning and just to see the life of the youth, the life of the next generation pouring out and just, I mean, seeping through the walls, right? Walking down the aisles. This is what the church is. And something amazing just happened, and I don't want us to miss it. I don't want it to be lost on us, right? A group of people, right, a group of youth just came up, and they confessed their faith in Christ before the church, before the congregation, right? And then they were received as members, but they weren't received as members into a building or into an institution, right? They were received as members of God's kingdom, right? What they publicly did was affirm their faith and their commitment to Christ, just as many of of them did so yesterday publicly as we went to those baptisms at the beach. And not only that, but then you take part in that as you affirm that commitment and you give forth your encouragement to walk with them. Now the exciting part begins, when we actually get to do that. As we look at this text and we think about the next generation, the future that is to come, the future that is before us in this room, the privilege and responsibility that we have as parents, guardians, leaders, and mentors, and friends. I hope we'll see how we can display for them the heart of Jesus and to equip them to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to serve like Jesus. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you, you're a God of your people, Lord, and you are a God of permanence. Lord, you have made it so, your word, is living and active. It never returns void. And God, since the beginning when you spoke, Lord, your word has continued moving forward from generation to generation to generation, and here we are proclaiming who you are, that you are a God that loves, you are a God that saves, you are a God that restores. So Lord, as we consider and think about the future, as we consider and think about the legacy of Christ, God, just guide our hearts to be moved by your spirit. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So now this passage is a familiar passage. We've been walking through this for a couple of weeks, and we're picking up uh, right after last week's verses. 
Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, and at the beginning of John 13, we see that he takes, out, he takes off his outer garment and he ties a towel around his waist and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, this, this was the lowliest place possible. In this moment, he is visibly taking the form of a servant and he's doing the most menial task you could imagine. <clears throat> Just to watch it would have been hard to accept, even more so to have it done to you. And we see evidence of that because Peter rejects it. Peter says, "Uh uh-uh, you're you're not going to do this. Peter understands and knows what's happening. Hey, this is is our Lord and Master, and he's going to get down and wash my feet? But once Jesus explains, he sets his resistance aside. And the reason for this is seen simply in verse 13. Jesus says it, you call me teacher and Lord and you are right for so I am. See, Peter would go on to be an amazing leader and a great evangelist for the church. But before this happened, he had to suffer and endure a journey of humility and a journey of training. He was challenged and grew through adversity because before you could make disciples, you have to be a disciple. He first had to learn to follow Jesus. And that is our first call as we seek to disciple the next generation. It may be simple to think about, but the reality is you can't teach what you don't know and you can't instill what you do not believe. This means as we lead the next generation, we don't lead on our own authority. Automatically, we understand that we are submitting. We accept that to some degree, we will be constant students ourselves. Learners, followers, disciples. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. To follow Jesus may be difficult because we have set ourselves, we have to set ourselves aside. See, we have to set our authority aside. We have to set our pride aside. We have to set aside anything that causes us to believe that we have a better way. And that's difficult in our society. That's difficult in our lives because we spend our entire lives building, right? We're building our lives. We're building our careers. We're building our households. Everything is set on our effort and the things that we're trying to strive to do to build up. And these things that then cause us to think that maybe we have a better way, even as we strive to build our identities. And so we think, this is my hard work, this is my accomplishment. I have the right to establish my own rules. But that sounds more like establishing our own kingdom. Sounds like a lot of work, a lot of stress, and hard if not impossible to manage. And altogether, it's counter to the gospel. However, when we loosen our grip on all those things and in humility we accept and learn to follow Jesus, we find that it brings rest. Simon Sinek is uh, an author, speaker, and trainer in the area of leadership. And he shares this simple statement. He says, the best leaders are also the best followers. 
The best leaders are also the best followers. They follow a purpose, a cause, or a belief bigger than themselves. And it's interesting to see in the secular world that they would recognize this. The best leaders are the best followers because this is the reason. But as a Christian, we look and we see, wait a minute. Jesus has the greater purpose. Jesus has expressed the greater cause. Jesus is bigger. At the end of the day, we learn to follow Jesus because we realize Jesus is worth following. It doesn't matter the season of life that we're in, how smart we are, how much we've attained. We realize he has the bigger purpose. He is grander, and as we follow him, others learn to follow him. Right? As we follow him, others learn to follow him. And when the coming generation sees us willing to still learn, willing to follow, it will open them to do the same. As we learn to follow Jesus, then comes a beautiful core aspect of our faith, which is discipleship. And serving is an example of Jesus. Now notice, it's not just living by the example of Jesus, it's serving as an example of Jesus. It's not only copying what he has done, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we desire to be more like him and be more like him to others, to the world around us. While he gives us the example to follow, he also gives us his spirit to be. Jesus says in, six, in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is where the world, including the ones we are raising in the faith, see the reality of what we believe. We can't fake it. I know we've all heard that phrase, fake it till you make it, right? Maybe we're familiar with the phrase and maybe we're familiar with actually doing that. But when it comes to our faith and what we believe, there is no faking it till you make it. You could try to fake it, but you will never make it. You can't build it unless you truly believe it. There has to be true faith, and we have to be intentional. I remember when I was growing up, this phrase, do as I say, not as I do. Anyone else heard that phrase? Anyone else say that phrase? It's okay, you don't have to, you don't have to admit it right here. But this is a familiar phrase. It says, just, just do what I'm telling you to do. And then I would do what I was told to do, but I would do it rather begrudgingly. There wasn't any joy in it. Okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to be happy about it. No, I would do it rather begrudgingly, and I think most people would agree to that. And then here's the other part. I would never learn anything in the process or grow from the experience. So we know that that really doesn't work. See, what we're asking for when we say, just do as I say and not as I do, is we're just saying, I want your direct obedience. I just want you to do what I'm telling you to do. But we're also sending another message. I don't really believe in what I'm telling you. This is not real, but I just want you to do it. See, that's obedience, desiring obedience without grace or without love. And the only one who can simply demand obedience really is God. And yet he doesn't. Jesus could just tell us to obey, but he doesn't. Jesus does everything he asks of us. 
He shows us. He does everything he asks of us and more. We see this in verse 15 when he says, I have given you an example. It obviously points to what he has just done, right? He has just washed their feet. But it also points to his life of ministry with his disciples over the last three years. See, Jesus never wasted an opportunity. He took every moment that he was with them, walking with them, teaching them, to show them how to love God and how to love others. How often are we setting an example for the next generation? And now we see Jesus sets the greatest example he possibly can in in this quiet room together with his disciples. He goes ahead and he just says, I'm here to serve you. And he shows them. He doesn't just say, he shows them. And he gives them the greatest example of why he is here. So that they could fully understand what's about to happen at the cross. As their Lord and Master, he shows them that he comes as a servant. That he is more and could proclaim to be more, but chooses not to. He humbles himself. And he expresses the greatest act of service, of love, and of sacrifice. Paul tells the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he emphasizes that, even death on a cross, because that was the most horrific, shameful death that someone could suffer. As a matter of fact, if you were a Roman citizen and you were found guilty, guilty of death, and they were going to crucify you, you could actually use your citizenship as an excuse to get out of that. You could choose a different form of execution. You could say as a Roman citizen, You can't crucify me. That's how horrific it was. And Jesus doesn't shy away from it, but goes straight to the cross. So what examples are we putting forth and what is being followed? Because the world is watching, but more importantly, our own circles are watching. Our households are paying attention. The next generation is actually watching. They're actually listening. Now, I know we see a lot of this. Right? How many of us here don't know what some of our, our children look like? With, we just think their, their face looks like the back of a phone. Right? Because this is what we see most of the time. And we think they're not paying attention. But here's the thing. They are. They're listening. And they're watching more than we could imagine. Right? So as they're doing this, you know, every once in a while you'll see something like this. Oh, that phone has a pair of eyes. But the reality is that they really are paying attention. So what are we showing them? What example are we setting for them? Are we showing them Christ? Because it's not simply doing good deeds. It's not about being in service to others and just helping to feed others and walking with others and teaching others and, yes, washing their feet. But it's doing all those as an outpouring of what God has done for us in Christ as a response to knowing Jesus. They're not just mere acts of service but it's the reality 
of a life redeemed and transformed. By living in service to others and doing the works of Jesus, other people get to experience Jesus. Think about that. It's not about them saying, wow, you people are really nice. You're so great and philanthropic. It's about people seeing the glory of God from people who are sinful and broken and transformed. And really knowing the way the world is, being astonished, how could people actually do that? How could someone walk with me? How could someone talk with me? How could someone invest in my life? How could someone actually wash my feet? Is it because they're such a good person? No, it's because they serve such a good God. It expresses a supernatural love. It's a divine love being expressed through the lives of sinful, broken people who have been redeemed and are being restored. So that's the reality that we put out into the world. When they experience that, they're not just experiencing nice people going the extra mile, but they get to experience Christ and his divine love through people who have experienced that love already and know that the world shouldn't live without it. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. First verse, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. If you go back one verse in the previous chapter, he says, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but that many may be saved. So now, Paul's not saying, I just want to be a nice guy and I want to be a people pleaser, so in everything I do, I had to get along with everyone. No, he says, I move forward for the sake of the gospel. I do what I do, and as I please other people, I don't please them to be nice, and I don't go counter my convictions. I serve, and I love them how Christ has loved me. Why? So that the gospel would be proclaimed, so that people would see who God is, so that they could literally look straight through him and not see him, but see the glory of Christ. And so he says, you want an example? You could go ahead and, you could go ahead and imitate me, but only imitate me so far as I imitate Christ. Our lives need to point to Jesus. And this is not, this is not an easy thing. Right? There are days or seasons that it is harder than others, and that's why discipleship does not exist in a bubble. Right? That's why we are called to be disciples and we're called to disciple others. But it exists in community. Discipleship exists in community. There's accountability so that we could walk with one another, we could raise each other up and encourage one another, and we could call each other out if necessary. So as we walk this journey, knowing Jesus and being living examples of Jesus, we need to remember that the only way people will fully know Jesus is if we properly tell them about Jesus. Romans 10, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We live in a society that takes things and molds it to its own image. I mean, it happens anywhere, right? You could go on Amazon. Someone could recommend a product on Amazon. You go look at that product and then what happens? You have 25, 30 other counterfeits or more cheaply made products. And I know that we're always tempted to buy the cheaper one, right? And then what happens? It breaks within a week. And then you realize the reality of not going with something authentic or even with TV and movies, right? Something that is successful, society looks at it and says, how can we replicate it but then change it and make it suit our own needs? And guess what? That happens with our faith too. That happens with Jesus. Now more than ever, Jesus is being taken by our society and being molded towards what society says is right or being molded to the culture of the day to make him more appeasing and more acceptable. And it's sad because sometimes we have to ask, what Jesus are you following? And the answer is that there's only one Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and he is expressed unmistakably as he is presented in Scripture. This is key for those who are being shaped by the gospel to understand who it is that they are really following. Let's not fall into the trap of filtering Jesus. This generation and the ones to come need to see, they need to know, and they need to experience all of him more than ever. So we need to make it a priority to proclaim all of Jesus because all of scripture points to him. Paul in Acts 20, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So here Paul is speaking to the leaders in the church in Ephesus, but how much does that speak to us today, the heads of our own households? to not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God? How does that not speak to us that have the next generation with us for a very short time before they go out to impact and to influence the world? This is the Jesus they need to see and they need to know. The Jesus who is the perfect prototype for our faith. No improvements necessary. As a matter of fact, you look throughout all the scriptures and you see every hero of the faith has major flaws. Every hero of the faith has major flaws. They always let the people down. But then you get to Jesus and he is the greater type. He is the ultimate. There's no disappointment. So we want to disciple the next generation then we need to admit to them that we are flawed and sinful with no hope of salvation on our own. And we need to share all of Jesus with them. This generation knows, this generation knows that they're not perfect. That's why there's so many Instagram posts, so many TikToks that talk about this is what you should look like. This is how you should be. This is your identity. The world is trying to shape not only us, but the future. And sometimes it looks like they're successful. But God is sovereign and he's still in charge and he's calling us to proclaim who he is. 
This generation needs to know a God who loves them so deeply and sees them as he created them. So he sent his son to die on a cross and resurrect to restore them. And as they trust in him, they will see their true identity and their purpose unfold. And we will truly see generations upon generation glorifying God. And you know what? Who better to do this? Who better to do this than us? And I speak now to us who are directly leading our households and leading the next generation. See, the God who loves us, the God who is so merciful and gracious and sovereign, he makes no mistakes. And I know as parents or as leaders, sometimes we feel ill-equipped. We feel that, be just honest, we don't know what we're doing, right? But God never fails, and he always knows. And I want you to think about this reality. The sovereign God of the universe that knows every star by name, that has created everything in pure perfection, has decreed and elected that you would be your child's parent, that you would be your child's aunt or uncle or grandparent or leader. As you look around this room, you see the youth, the next generation, and you see all the other families. You get to participate with them. You get to be their community. You get to be their village to help raise up their children, but only you are your child's parent. God did that. That's not a mistake. And he calls you and will equip you to lead them. My wife has a favorite flower. And it's a sunflower. It's a beautiful flower. And I was thinking about that, and I started looking up, because I got curious. You know, as a child, you always say, well... You hear the sunflower is always going to follow the sun, right? And so I looked up the sunflower. I found out something really interesting. Yes, the sunflower follows the sun, right? It follows the light of the sun that's being fed to it. So the sunflower in the morning is facing east. As the sun rises, you could see it moving and moving and moving until the sun sets in the west. But then something interesting happens at night. The sunflower resets facing east because it knows and has the expectation of where the light is coming from. And then it starts all over again. But then there's a point that it stops. And I didn't know this. The sunflower stops moving when the seeds in the sunflower head have matured and grown and are too heavy. And so it stays facing east. And I was just thinking about that. And thinking about the reality of what light are we shining to the next generation? What light are we allowing to be filtered to them? Because the world, they are relentless in wanting to throw things at our kids and the next generation. But not only that, as the light is shining upon them, 
They're going to grow and they're going to absorb that and they're going to mature. And one day, they will be sowing seeds for the next generation after them. Our prayer and our desire should be that only the light of Christ is shining over them, causing them to grow and mature in the knowledge and nurture of the Lord so that when they are ready and they go out into the world, the seeds that they're sowing, the legacy that they're sowing is that of Jesus. So may we point them to the light of the world, the one who is the light of the world, Jesus. And may the next generation and beyond shine brightly for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks. Jesus, you are the light of the world and you shine brightly. And you shine brightly upon us and you call us to shine for the world to see, but not to see that we are so amazing, but that they would give glory to you. Lord, we don't have all the answers. We're not perfect. But we love you, and we desire that the next generation would know you. We desire that they would be built up to love you, to know you, and then that their children and their children's children would know and love you as you've promised us in the gospel. Help us to fulfill that call that we can only do through the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, and we bless your name. Amen.